If you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 2. We spent the whole first chapter looking specifically of Jesus and how awesome that he is. And then Paul begins to say, and so he has been working hard to get that message to the Colossians. That he has been beaten and suffered getting that message. That he has struggled in prayer that they might continue to have that message. And we saw now that he's just urging them, stay put in it now. Just stay put, stay established, stay firm in Jesus Christ. The message is good. And here Paul is writing a letter making sure that it gets to this church. It's a young church. It's a small church. It's meeting in homes in this town called Colossae. And he wants to make sure that this letter that he's writing, that they would hear about Jesus and know Jesus' love. A couple weeks ago when our kids were off at camp, one thing that we like to do at camp, and some of you have done, Miss Ashley, Miss Tony Faith, and others, uh, send letters to the kids at camp saying, hey, we're just praying for you. We love that you're doing it. It's such a huge encouragement. We sent letters down to the kids. In fact, our cats and dogs stamped their paws on the letters to make sure that our kids knew that Bumper and Pip and, and Honey knew that, that uh, they sent their love. And, and uh, our kids' grandma, Grandma Jepson, out in Seattle, also wrote letters. And so the letters got sent all the way over from Seattle and made their way and got to the camp. And when they got to the camp, two of the kids opened up their letters and read these notes from Grandma about how much she loved them. And one poor young child of ours didn't get Grandma's letter. It somewhere got lost. I don't know if it's in the U.S. Postal Service somewhere. I don't know if it's in a counselor's backpack. I have no idea where. We can't find that letter. The young man knows his grandma loves him, but boy, isn't it good when you feel like you're an alien and you're alone, you're in a weird place in this world and you receive a letter. Doesn't it make you feel good, even though you already know that they love you, that you would receive confirmation when you're at camp and you receive that confirmation, when you get that letter, it's good. And when you don't have it, you still know it, but you'd love to get it, wouldn't you? We better call Grandma Jepson. She'll tell you that she loves you. You know that, right? That's right. So the church at Colossae gets this letter, and it's a good thing because they already know Jesus, but it's great to get a letter to remind them they're going on in the world. They've got daily lives. They've got work to go to. Maybe some of them are at camp. I don't know what's going on, but the Lord wants to remind them, hey, this is what I've done for you. This is who I am. I love you. And so that's where we're coming in again today, and Paul's going to give them a... Um, a word here to really tell them to stick stick with Christ. Don't wander away into the world. So let's pick up the letter. It's in Colossians chapter 2, and we're in verse 8. It says this. See to it that no one takes you captive. Uh, how, raise your hand if you like being held captive. Me neither. I've never been one when my older brother used to take me and hold me captive. I knew what was coming, right? I was getting my face shoved in the carpet or something. I've never liked being held captive. I don't want to be jailed up. I don't want to be restricted. I want to be able to have freedom. And the scripture says that when Christ died, he died to give you your freedom. Yes, that you would be his servant, but he opened you up to a life where you didn't have to have that guilt. You didn't have to have the effort of your own doing to try to live up to his love. You were set free. So Paul says, don't let anybody come into your church, come into your life, and deceive you by telling you that you should be captive. 
Was he saying literally being thrown in jail? That's not what he's going to get to. He's saying that there, he's going to tell us that there's other things that might come and take you captive, even if you might not realize that it is taking you captive. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Now, what's philosophy? The word that's being used there is people who love wisdom, even though it's not truth. People who think that after they're going after all these things, they can think and contemplate and write books that these things that they might come up with might have the illusion of being wise, but when they is put on display, it can't help you. It actually doesn't play out in God's eternal ways. It's worldly. And so you could be captive by somebody um, coming up with a philosophy and giving it to you, but it's empty. We talked about this the other week when people try to sell you on things. And it just isn't true. So he says, don't let anybody take you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. Do you know what deceit is? It's just lying. Don't let anybody lie to you. It's empty. It's unfulfilling. It's like cotton candy. It may taste sweet, but you're not going to be filled up and given the nutrients you need. Somebody's going to come to you. They're going to lie to you. And by following philosophies, by following empty deceit, those things will take you captive. Again, raise your hand if you'd like to be captive. Neither do I. And so we need to watch out for philosophies. We need to watch out for empty deceit and lies. And it says that these things, the philosophy and empty deceit, are according to human tradition. Which means that people have come up with things that say, we were going to do this over and over and over and over. It's passed on from people to people, from generation to generation, from family member to family member, from school to school. And it says, we have done this, so you do this. We have come up with a way of doing things. And if you follow in our ways and you continue that out, you will make it. Those are human traditions. Now, there are good godly traditions. A good tradition is to be in the word of God. There's a good tradition of letting the Lord speak to you and you expressing yourself back to the Lord in a very humble and submissive way. That's prayer. These are good things. It's good, the Lord says, to together sing out in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and to rejoice like we've done already and will do. There are good traditions so long as those traditions aren't the things that are saving you. There is one who saves you. It's Jesus. And any time a tradition comes in and says this thing, whether it be prayer, whether it even be Bible reading, and you say the action of those things will save you, it becomes a human tradition. And the world is full of all kinds of other traditions. But the human traditions end up proposing these philosophies, empty deceits, and taking you captive. It says, so you... These are according to human tradition. It also says that they're according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Now, that's kind of a funny phrase there. The elemental spirits of the world. Some of your translations will say elemental principles of the world. That's whereby people have kind of, if you were to take them and boil them down to their essential understanding of how things work, and you can take a culture over there, and you can take a culture over there, you can take a religion here, a religion there, and if you boil them all down to a single handful of principles that are elemental, this spirit that goes to humanity that's, that's the foundation of what people believe, it is this. The scripture says that the is people thinking that they can save themselves by works. They may have a different understanding of what salvation is, and they may have a different understanding of what they're being saved from, but they believe that somehow if they do it, they will save themselves. That's what the scripture says is the elemental 
spirits or the elemental principles of the world. In fact, if you scoot down a little bit further in your Bible, and uh, we're going to cheat a little bit and look forward in chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Anybody who ever had rules in your household like that? Now, rules aren't necessarily bad, but when those rules are set up to try to save you, that's bad. That's part of the elemental spirit where it doesn't work. And it goes on and says, these things referring to things that are all, they perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. And listen to this. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So this says all this, if you boil it down to the, the way the world thinks, that if you do a set of rules, or you do this or that, it'll result in some sort of salvation. And some people even say it'll result in a righteousness before God if you do it. That is absolutely not right. Because Paul said there, if you have died with Christ, why do you continue to do those things? Why do you set up the Ten Commandments as if if you can follow all ten of those, you will be saved? Doesn't the Scripture say all over the place that part of the reason that the law was given, including the Ten Commandments, wasn't that the Ten Commandments were bad. It was to show you that you couldn't do them. It was to prove that you and I, on our own accord, could not be holy because we came out of the womb as, as sinners and we will continue on in this life sinning and sinning and sinning against God. There's nothing we can do to kind of get good enough to have him say, oh yeah, you're good enough now. And yet the elemental ways of the world say, oh, yeah, you can. You can figure that out. Paul says, no. If Christ died for you, if you if you believe in him, that's the only thing you need. Why? Because Christ set you free. Why would you go back to captivity? Why would you go back to slavery? Continue on in Christ, he's saying. A couple months ago. Katie and I had something spectacular happen. We've been waiting for this day. You see, for. Oh, a couple of years. Every month we would have to walk into the bank or put something into a, an envelope and send it off. And and we were paying off a car. Oh, and you know, when you buy your car, you you drive out of there and it's all shiny and new and and you're driving out. and You're like, oh, yeah. Well, you, you drive however you drive. That's how that's how Katie drives uh, <laughs> like a gangster. I don't know. Um, so she's. You know, we're driving this car. It feels, you know, you got something great. It's helpful. But every month it's like, oh, oh, you're paying that debt. You're paying that debt. Well, a couple months ago, we were so relieved because um, we were like, we got to get rid of, you know, we just don't want this debt anymore. So we walked into the bank and, and, and we wanted to go together because it was significant, you know. So we get up to the counter and the guy knew something was up because we were beaming on our face. And we said, we, we are here to pay off our car. And we, we wrote the last payment. We handed it to him. And he, he was like, that's it? And we're like, well, don't we get something? <laughs> you know, don't, don't. Like, isn't there something that proves that we don't have any more payments that we're debt free? And he's like, well, I guess I could just kind of give you this receipt. And we were like, we will take it. <laughs> like, we, we just, we wanted something to show to say that 
the debt has been paid and we are released from the captivity of every month having to do something in order to have what we needed, right? When we came to faith, Christ said, I resurrected and now you are alive. You are set free. The resurrection is your receipt. You need something to carry around, carry around the life of Christ in you through the resurrection of Jesus. That's what you have as proof. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have been changed. Now, wouldn't it have been foolish of Katie and I if the next month we felt like, well, I mean, we're driving this car. I mean, Katie's bumping down the road with her favorite songs, gangster style, however she does that, right? And then she thinks, well, you know what? It used to be that in order to drive this car, we needed to make a payment. So I guess let me just walk into the bank and make the payment. Would that help her at all? No, there's no need for it. And yet sometimes in our, in our walk, we're like, Don't, shouldn't I revert back to the way the world said it would happen? That if, if I wanted life to work out, if I wanted to get to a nice shiny place where I could just bop down the road of life, that I've got to do something. I've got to repetitively make it work. I've got to be this good. I've got I've to pay it and I pay it and I pay it. And we have this guilt that we have to pay it. Guess what? You've been set free of that. You've been given the receipt of salvation and life in Jesus. And there's something because of our sinful nature. We just want to come back to Christ and say, but let me do something. Let me continue to do all the rules. Christ says, no, I, I, I set you free from that. I set you free from human tradition. I set you free from, from the principles of, of this world. I set you free from philosophies where, I mean, you can watch the daily talk shows. And let me tell you, they will even change which philosophies just to kind of appease their audience. And that's what Jesus said would happen at the end times. Because at the end of the day, they're out for money. All them talk shows and everybody will say, oh, your new book is amazing, they'll say to the guest. Or, oh, this little spiritual thing that you're doing here is just so peaceful because you've told me what to do. Even sometimes on Christian radio and some of the most deceiving places on the planet are in churches. Remember who Paul's writing to a church, right? That within the church, they can come into this place. People will say, you need to do this and do this and do this and never tell you that Christ already set you free. And so in churches, you see a lot of people, especially coming out of Catholic backgrounds, where they're like, I just feel so guilty all the time. And the scripture says that when you came to Christ, he took guilt off of you. You were set free. Does that mean that the Lord never convicts? Oh, no, he comes to convict. But what he says is, I'm convicting you of your sin. And now remember what I've done for you and stop doing that thing. Come live in freedom. That thing's not good for you. That thing is not good for you. While I was down at camp, I, we had these opportunities at the end of worship services where it, we had these big white panels of paper where kids could say, you know, the, the Lord really touched me this way. I saw the Lord or he's speaking to me. And so they could take a marker and they could go 
write on these boards and write this and that. And also there was times when I was speaking with students and, and they would tell me things about what's going on in their life. And repetitively, whether it was on the whiteboards that they were writing or where they were speaking to me face to face, I'd often have this conversation with the student. They would say, I mean, I've been trying so hard, but I don't understand why this is going wrong in my family. I don't understand why my parents got a divorce. I don't, I don't understand why this is happening. I just keep thinking that if I, if I do this and I do this and I do this for God, that somehow he'll love me enough to pick me up out of that place. And let me tell you something, friends. The circumstances that are difficult aren't an indication whether God loves you or not. The indication that God loves you is that when you were in your sin and there was no way that you could help yourself, that God so loved the world, which includes you, that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever, which also includes you, would believe in him. It doesn't say that if you believed in him and then it also did all these rules, that if you did enough that he would lift you up and love you out of a circumstance. He said that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life there is one thing that you need to do and that's just believe i love that song that tim sang and one of the things that tim said was this you got to do this for the lord and he made sure to say it was this you better believe in him before he comes back and even that is a gift of god that he would change your heart to belief Isn't that a relief to say, man, I don't got to do anything. Now I just want to, I want to live for him. I know often in our house when I come stomping through as the the ogre dad and I'm like, here's what you got to do, kids. You got to do this. You got to brush your teeth. You got to clean your room. You got to do this. And I just start laying down a bunch of rules. You know what the kids often do? Oh, man. None of us really like rules, or sometimes some of you really do. (coughs) The Lord comes to you and says, here's some things to do, and you take it as rules. And the Lord's not given to you as rules. The Lord comes to you as a father. And when I come to my kids and I'm like, hey, kids, here's what we're going to do, because we got to do this, and we're doing this as a family. When you realize it's in a relationship and you bring it to them and say, this is how we need to be, because the Lord wants us to go do something maybe for somebody or Because we want to love one another. It's different when it's brought up in the realm of relationship. It's different. And so when the Lord comes to you and he says, hey, you know, it's it'd be a good thing for you to not live your life this way. It's not because he wants you to seek out a way to save yourself. It's because he can see into the future and know that if you keep doing what you're doing, that's a bad place to be. As a loving father, the. God comes to you and says, stay out of those things because I set you free from them. Why would you go back to them? Let's go this way. Let's go this way. In Psalm 32, I read from that earlier that says, blessed is the one who's forgiven, whose sin is covered. And later on, as a result of having your sin covered, he says this in Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9, he says, I will instruct you. I'll teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. That just has a a good feeling of the Lord coming alongside you like we talked last week and walking with you. Just being so kind to help you understand where you need to go in life and in your heart. And then it says this. Not only will he instruct you and teach you in the way you should go and counsel you with his his eye upon you. He says, 
Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it won't stay near you. He says this, don't be an animal. God doesn't see you as an animal where like a horse, he puts the bit and the bridle and he just kind of steers you with some rules, whatever he wants to do. If you don't follow those rules, man, you're going to get a whipping. If you don't follow what Jesus says, he's going to he's going to smote you. He's going to light you up. That's that's not God's intention. It's not like the car that we have. I'm like, car, you better start. Oh, boy, car, when you break down, I'm just going to take you so fast to the junkyard. No more. I don't really have an accent like I don't know. With a car, when it's not obeying, when it stops functioning, what do we do? We trash it. And God says, you know what? When you're not functioning right, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to instruct you. Don't think that you're just like a horse where when the horse dies, you're just done with it. You just get a new one. God wants to live with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to save you. And in that salvation, he's like, now I've set you free. Here's my life. Go live life. Let me show you what's best for you. Let me, let me show you why I've told you to have marriage this way. Let me show you why it's good to obey your parents this way. You're welcome, parents, for that one. Let me show you, parents, why it's not just about you giving your sons and daughters a list of rules to live by and making sure they grow up to follow the rules. You know, parents, that's about the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is keep showing your kids Jesus. And the things that you're telling them to do, and you might say, you know what? I don't want you to lie. And you know what? Son, you need to to open the door for your mom. You're showing them why those things are great in Christ. You're leading them towards Christ because one day they're going to fly the coop. And if they follow the rules, they may follow the rules and still go to hell. Because Jesus, in that passage, the elemental principles of the world say that you can follow rules and save yourself. You can't. So, parents, you can't just teach your kids rules. And sometimes they'll leave the house and they'll be like, I am leaving the rules behind. I'm going to go follow the world. And you know what? They'll follow the world and go play the world. And the world has another way of living without any rules. But that's a rule to itself. Saying the only way to salvation is just to have fun. So go do whatever you want. And so it can't be just rules. It has to be saying, here's Jesus. I want to show you Jesus. I want to, I want to, I want to read Scripture with you and show you Jesus. I want to show you why the Lord says it's, it's good to not only love your brother or sister, but to love your enemies. The Lord says it's good to take care of the needy. The Lord says it's good to not commit adultery. The Lord says it's good. Good, good. And you lead them to the Lord. And then when they leave the house, they're like, why, why should I do what's right? Because I'm following the Lord. He's going to instruct me as I go. Why should I not go off to the world? Because those are empty promises. The Lord will always fulfill me. We train our children up in the Lord to go follow the Lord. That's the best place because only the Lord can save them. That's the only way. And so today, I don't know where you sit. You may have grown up in church all your life and you followed the rules. 
sang some songs, and inside you may be dead. I remember it was one week in our church in Seattle, my aunt came. She came and listened to the gospel, and I preached it just like I preach here. We are in sin. We are in need of Jesus saving us by his blood, having taken our death and given us his life. That great exchange, that substitution, he died in our place. And at the end of the service, she was just weeping, just bawling. I came over to her at the end and said, what's going on? She said, I've been in the church 60 years and just realized that I'm not saved. I just realized that I was following all the rules. I just realized that I'm a sinner and I need to confess my sin and ask him for forgiveness. Today was the first time. You may have sat in church a long time and tried to get all the rules right. But let me tell you, God's, God's desire is to set you free. And the one way to do that is just to say, Lord, I believe that you did it all for me. So that I would no longer be a captive, but set free. Set free from my sin, set free from the rules, set free from the expectations. And just set free to follow you, whatever you tell me to do in relationship. I'm just going to go do that. And that's freedom, it really is. It's a good place to be. And so today, if you need to come to the Lord, then come to the Lord right now. Don't wait till tomorrow because you'll get caught up in the talk shows again. Don't, don't wait for next week because as Tim's saying, the Lord may be back before next week the way things are going. This world is deteriorating quick. And the Lord says it would before he come back. So if you need to come to the Lord today, you say, I realize that nothing I've done can save me. It's just you, Jesus. Then recognize that he's taken you then. When you say, I believe, he's changed your heart and he set you free and he saved you. And so today as we close in a couple songs, I just want to give you the chance to say, um, Lord, I'm coming to you. Not because of anything I've done. I'm asking for your grace, your mercy. Not the world's works, not its deceptive ways, just your grace. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and ask for salvation. And if you're a Christian and you begin to kind of wander back towards a law-driven, works-driven faith, that, that'll just tear you up. You're headed towards captivity. That's like going back to the bank and trying to pay for that car. You don't need to anymore. Go drive. Go experience freedom. Come and worship the Lord.